Welcome to the first episode of the Max Term Podcast. I'm Kyle Stitch alongside James Finch, and tonight we're going to take you through our contract projection model. A couple things before we get started. First, please follow our podcast, uh, Max Term Podcast. It'll be available on all podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter, at Max Term Pod, and our business account, AFP Analytics. Before we get started here... Just a couple uh, things. Everything we talk about in this podcast is our reflect is our own opinions. It's not necessarily a reflection of anything we're hearing in the industry. We do have some level of connections in the industry, but we're not going to be passing along information that's been uh, tr- trusted as sensitive material to us. As well as any ads that might be associated with this podcast are not necessarily products we are endorsing or views that we are agreeing with. Let's talk about our uh, contract projection model, which uh, Frank Sarabelli of Daily Faceoff has been uh, using in his um, articles highlighting the top free agents available, and, we, and it's also appeared in The Athletic. So there's lots of questions about how do we actually come up with these projections. Well, we've been refining them for a little, for four years now, four or five years if you want. Started off with a little test of waters in 2018, did about 30 names, and then since then we've been building and refining. James and I have been working on these for about four years. We'll talk a little bit more about how, how accurate we've been and everything like that, but first let's talk about how we get to those final numbers, those numbers that you see publicly available, free, anyone can access them. Your, anyone who's listening is free to use them as long as you uh, properly cite this. We would appreciate uh tagging us on Twitter at AFP Analytics or, and or the Max Term Pod. So the projections are based on basically coming to a market value, market basket, if you will, for each player. We have an internal application kind of set up. We give the computer a couple of inputs, look at age ranges, which considers whether they're unrestricted free agents or restricted free agents as well as kind of where where their cap hit percentage is likely going to be. And between all of that, we hit a couple buttons and get an output of list of players. From those players, we're looking at it to see, okay, do all these players make sense with who we're trying to project? So, for example, if we output a defenseman and their right shot, right shot defensemen generally get paid, little bit more on the market it's more of a premium as well as if they maybe are a forward that has some center flexibility we try to lean towards players who are centers as well as for their comparisons so we kind of go through and fine-tune if we also see someone on this list that is probably not stylistically the correct person so if we're have a pure sniper and oh there's a heavy kind of grinder works along the boards we're going to take that guy out of out of the kind of market basket. Our goal is to come up with a market basket of players that gives kind of a high case scenario, a better case, midpoint, and then a low case scenario because it's not necessarily true that everyone's going to perform as expected. So we'll talk a few, about a couple of the recent contracts that were signed just to kind of give you a little insight into how we came up with the numbers that we did, 
some of the players that make sense as comparisons. And then we'll talk a little bit more about kind of how the projections work and how the agents and everything negotiate these in real life. So, James, let's start with, I don't know, maybe one that looked really well in our projections. Let's start with Damon Severson. Why not? All right, Damon Severson. Uh, we, we did pretty well with Severson. We projected a, uh, a cap hit percentage of uh, 7.3, and he ended up signing for 7.49. Um, he did get a max term deal uh, with Columbus in a sign-and-trade. Um, we only had him for six years, but um, we believe that the extra two years is really just a uh, product of the situation he was in. Um, and his agent did really well for him to get those two years. As far as comparable players for Damon Severson, when we came up with his projection, so like I had said, we ended up at uh, six years, and we had a cap hit percentage 7.3, which worked out, assuming a cap of $83.5 million, uh, about 6.1 AAV for Severson was our projection. Um, how we got to that. So there were some really key players, and like Kyle said, um, some were a little above, some were about the same, and some were a little under. So I'm going to start at that high-end comparable. Um, Mackenzie Weger has basically been the versatile defenseman that everyone wants in their lineup. Um, so having him as a comp for Severson not necessarily going to light up the score sheet points-wise, but a very solid all-around defenseman. Another guy that kind of fits that bill, also a right shot, is Brian Pulak uh, for the Islanders. Um, his was an eight-year deal, same as Weger, eight-year deal. They both signed for a little above um, what we had projected. The difference here with Ryan Pulak is his deal is basically what Severson ended up getting. So Pulak was an eight-year deal, 7.45%. Severson was eight years, 7.49%. If you look at those two players, they're, they're basically the same player. They're going to give you the, the same performance. Um, as far as comparables that are a little bit underneath what we thought Severson would get. We're looking at defensemen like Jake Muzzin, um, Jeff Petrie, um, still both very good all-around defensemen. Um, probably ideal second pair could be on the first pair, but he's, they're not going to be your um, number one star defenseman. That's kind of the... Uh, the market basket that we've got for Severson. He isn't your top guy, but he's going to be a very solid number two or three defenseman. So we, you just heard a lot of talking about a cap hit percentages instead of average annual value. So for those who might be a little less familiar with how hockey contracts work, average annual value is basically taking the total value of the contract and dividing it by the number of years. And why is that number important? Well, that's the number that counts against the team's salary cap. So when you t when you see teams getting close to that 
this year, $83.5 million cap. There's really no way for them to restructure contracts like you might see in football. Once they're locked in with that AAV, that average annual value, they're, that's what they're going to count against the cap. So the average annual value basically is what accumulates to the team's overall cap hit. And the NHL has what's called a hard salary cap, meaning, well, there's, okay, tongue-in-cheek, they're not supposed to exceed $83.5 million, but there are a few, I'm not even going to say loopholes, because I don't think that's fair, because it is written into the agreement, the collective bargaining agreement between the players' union and the teams. They're taking advantage of the rules. You saw Vegas put, uh, you know, Mark Stone, for example, he decided, he ended up healthy right before the playoffs, ironically. And he was on long-term injured reserve for months. So Vegas was able to use Mark Stone's 9.5 cap hit to add more players at the trade deadline. Then once teams hit the playoffs, so this is probably where there's a little bit more frustration. Once teams are hit the playoffs, there is no salary cap that they have to kind of follow. So Vegas was able to add up to another $9.5 million worth of players, and it's even actually more than that because of how the salary cap tolls and everything. That's probably a discussion for a whole other uh, episode. Yeah, all the rules are the same for everyone. It's just some teams are more willing to exploit them. And it really all comes down to how much their ownership's willing to spend on player salaries. And Vegas has an owner in Bill Foley who's absolutely willing to spend. So getting back a little bit to kind of why we use these cap hit percentages and don't talk quite as much about the AAV, even though it's absolutely important. Well, prior to COVID, the cap was rising a little bit over 4-5% each year. We're going to take out since uh, the COVID pandemic hit because that's, that's hit revenues and lowered the salary cap. Salary cap's basically tied directly to how much money the NHL makes. There's a split that goes to the owners and a split that goes to the players. The salary cap is set on how much the players are owed in this uh, distribution. So traditionally it rises, and probably starting again next year, we're going to see th- probably at least a $3 million, don't, don't put me on the record of that, three, maybe even a little bit more million-dollar jump. So teams are going to start to have the ability to spend more on players. So it's going to be interesting how this offseason kind of plays out. And we saw a couple early deals signed um, with Gabrikov from the LA Kings, signing a two-year contract, Chicago signing Andreas Anthonisiu for a two-year contract. But then we've also seen those long-term contracts as well. So before we get too far away from Gabrikov here, um, he's he was an interesting, interesting case. It wouldn't have been surprised if he went maybe just a one-year contract to walk into this higher cap, but he ended up with a two-year contract with a really high cap hit percentage that really didn't hit our model yeah so Gavrikov is one of those we'll we'll call him a second pair defenseman that should probably get a deal in that four five year range and he, he went for two years and it was widely reported that he didn't have any interest in a longer term deal he wanted two years um exactly why for sure we don't know 
Um, it seems like it may be of interest to him to be able to hit the open market once again soon, cash in on another deal. Um, so yeah, th this was a deal we were a little bit off on. We had Gavrikov um, signing a five-year deal with a cap hit percentage of 5.84. That would have been an AV at about 4.88. So I guess we'll call it 4.9 million. Um, what was kind of odd here is, yeah, he went for the shorter deal and he actually got a much higher AAV here. Um, his cap hit percentage he ended up signing for was uh, 7.04. So and with Gavrikov going uh, that far over on the AAV, it meant we were, we were quite a bit off here. Um, I, think, I think this really speaks to what Kyle was just discussing about how uh, the salary cap so far in the past couple of years, it really hasn't moved too much. It is due to league revenues. The COVID year really messed with some things, and it's taken a little while for the financial landscape for salary cap purposes to recover. There were some rumors it might finally be the year where it fully recovers, and we see the bigger jump, three mil maybe, in the salary cap, but I don't think that's going to be the case. It seems like it's going to be around $1 million this year, um, which leads to that idea of maybe players could be looking for a shorter deal to hit the market again, either next year or a couple of years from now, when that cap uh, has jumped up way more. Um, we think that's really the situation here with Gavrikov. So we had Gavrikov and Anthony Siu go for just two-year short-term contracts so they can maybe jump back into the marketplace when there's teams have more money to spend. But we've also seen teams locking up their young players, namely Cole Caulfield in Montreal and Jesper Bratt in New Jersey, locking them up to long-term contracts that in a year or two we're going to be talking about, oh, that's one of the best value contracts in the sport because players' are, salaries are going to continue to rise as that salary cap rises. And so Jesper Bratt, who's probably a pretty strong first-line player, is going to be locked in for just under $8 million. Then in a year or two, we're going to see other, other players who are probably more second-line guys start to approach that $8 million contract just because the salary cap is rising and players are really getting percentages of that, not necessarily a raw... AAV or raw salary number. Okay, so yes, with with Brat, this was a, a projection we weren't a hundred percent comfortable with, but there wasn't a whole lot we could do to change what we had. So, on a long-term deal, we were looking at six years, about seven point two five AAV and eight point seven percent cap hit percentage. Um, we. Again, we did not love this, but we couldn't really edit this projection without straying a bit off the path of how we do our projections. So we rolled with it. When the news came out of his new contract, eight years, 7.875 AV, and a cap hit percentage of 9.43, that's nothing that we thought was bad. 
I mean, that's that's a great contract for the team. He gets his max term. Yeah, so it's funny. I, I texted you about Jesper Brown. Like, I think he's too low. I, I think he's going to get more. Ran it, ran the projection independently myself and came to, you know, the exact same number, basically. So there's not much we can do when, we, when two of us are looking at it independently and still getting to that same projection. And, yeah, Kevin Fiala, perfect perfect comp for him. makes complete sense where that contract came in. It's just our, our market basket had some guys a little bit higher, a little bit lower and right around that range. But some of those lower guys brought it down a little bit and, and that's fine. We're just going to live with that, learn from it a little bit more. And uh, I think that's one of the important things to say about our projections is we're continuing to try to learn, but also whatever we've put out at this point, we're not going in and adjusting them. We have one number for years, we have one number for cap hit percentage, and whatever that cap hit percentage is under the current cap, that's what we're going to stick to. And so some people, we've gotten a couple requests already about, oh, extensions, extensions for next year. So that's kind of an interesting uh, discussion point because right now the cap's $83.5 million. It would be absolutely shocking if that wasn't the case going into the offseason at this point with just days to go before free agency is set to open. And then next year, though, project the cap to rise. But whatever that cap's set at is going to really impact how much players are able to sign for next offseason. So us sticking with the cap hit percentage is great. We can we can tell we can come up with a great cap hit percentage for any player eligible for an extension, but it's a little bit difficult thinking about where that cap's going to be next year. Yeah, so I think when we've looked at extensions, we, we've used a number of 87.5 for the salary cap. Um, we, we've gotten this number uh, from Cap Friendly, a super helpful contract site for the NHL. Um, so it, it isn't just a random number we came up with. Others are using it, estimating it. Um, but it is something we don't know for sure. So sometimes where uh, the cap hit percentage can be hard, especially on extensions, is when you have bigger name players. Um, Without really knowing the exact salary cap for an upcoming season, um, using the cap hit percentage, it's tough. A player like Austin Matthews, he's got one year left. It's pretty much accepted industry-wide that Austin Matthews is going to try to set the market as the top paid player in the National Hockey League. Um, So because of that, we kind of need to keep in mind the AAV. So while we're using comparable players and their contracts and looking at a cap hit percentage, certain situations like this Matthews situation we want to keep an eye on what does the AAV actually calculate to and make sure we are projecting something that makes sense. So I think I think the difference between and some of the things that we do with our projections and kind of how it works in the industry to give a little bit of insight into how agents and teams negotiate here is we open our sample of contracts and everything up Back until 2012, we've kind of just debated a little bit between us 
is that is that still the best time frame to use? And maybe over the next couple of years, we'll continue to we'll start to move some of those older uh, contracts out because, frankly, there's some players that I'm I'm struggling to remember. And uh, basically, up on a, a decade, a decade's worth of contracts, and at some point, just the game evolves itself, and people forget literally about certain players and those contracts just become a little less relevant. So so teams are basically looking, and agents are looking more at the more recent contracts, especially when it comes to the RFAs, the arbitration-eligible players. So they're not actually concerned as much about the cap hit percentage. They're still using the average annual value. And I think one of the reasons that we've done really well and will get you kind of the how close we've been the past couple of years with our projections in a second. Uh, but I think one of the reasons we did really well is we, is we do is we do have that big sample. We do use that cap hit percentage to drive our value instead of just limiting ourselves to the most recent contracts. So, uh, so a little plug for ourselves, we've been really close with some of our uh, projections over the past couple of years. Yeah, so, I mean, we really started to have a large amount of projections done in 2019, the off-season of 2019. And uh, we were looking at a mean absolute error of about 408,000, which we believe is pretty good for contract projections here. So to put that in kind of simple terms, we would think that if, if a player signs a contract, whatever we project them at, Kind of add add four hundred about four hundred thousand and subtract four hundred thousand and they should be within that range. If they're not, they're probably they're an absolute outlier to what we projected. So even some of these ones that we talked about already and that are going to sign, yeah, they're going we're going to be off, but they're probably going to be within our range of error. So we started at four hundred thousand and we've gotten well, COVID was a little bit uh, rough. Yeah, so the COVID year, I, I don't want to say we because I pretty much took over the COVID year uh, with the contract projections. And it was a slight step back, not too far. We had a MAE, so mean absolute error, of 462,000. From there, we ended up not being able to complete contracts in the 2021 offseason, but we picked right back up last year, 2022 offseason. And this was the best year we've had by far. It was very, very accurate. Um, in terms of the MAE, we were at about 348,000. Um, obviously, the uh, lower the number, the better. Um, and 348 is great. Right now, we're currently sitting at uh, about $413,500 on the MAE for uh, this current 2023 offseason. That being said, not a whole lot of contracts in there yet, and some weird ones like Gavrikov. Um, but we we fully expect to be in the three hundred thousands at this point. Yeah, we want to continue to raise our standard, raise the bar, and we're never going to be perfect. There's always going to be air, but I, I think that three hundred thousand dollar range is is probably a gives viewers of our projections a pretty good kind of understanding of where they're at. So if you want to use our projections, uh, check, you can find them on Twitter at AFP Analytics. Uh, please also follow us at MaxTermPod on Twitter 
And if you have any questions, you can hit us up at either of those places or either of our Twitters. They're linked um, at, at the AFP Analytics pin tweet as well. Um, with that, we would like to thank you for listening to our first episode of the Max Term Podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.